Well, good morning, church. Thank you so much for taking some time to tune in and uh, attend our church service online. Uh, just continuing to reiterate to you, we'll be constantly evaluating uh, the numbers, uh, science, what Boulder County is telling us, etc. And as soon as we can start getting people in, maybe shortly after uh, Christmas, then we'll certainly do that. But until then, we're so excited that you're tuning in. Hopefully you're not alone, you're with someone else. Uh, feel free to broaden the invite all over the world for people to join us as we continue to worship and build community around God and His love and, and His Word. We've been in this series called New Creation People. As Alex said this last week, we've been at it 13. Now this is the 14th week uh, that we've been using the book of Ephesians to really dive into a deep study on what is our identity and not to allow the world to kind of toss us around back and forth and to dictate to us, but rather to allow the scriptures to define and to shape who we are as His creation. So hopefully you've enjoyed this. If you've missed any of our past uh, sermons, uh, they're all online, rockcreekchurch.org. Uh, feel free to jump on and, and watch those or re-watch those if you want to learn something uh, again. We do have to say because of some of the changes uh, that we've had to make to the church with uh, COVID and uh, with the Christmas series coming up, that this will be our last Sunday in this series, which ought to make you throw a, a huge flag that says, what about chapter 6? Uh, and that is a great catch. It includes an enormous passage talking about the full armor of God. And what we want to do is help you do some self-study uh, for that, since we're not going to be able to cover that chapter. We're going to be putting a list of uh, books and commentaries uh, and also YouTube uh, channels and videos that you can use to help study that section as well. But starting next week, we'll be beginning uh, our very first Sunday for our Christmas series called Recapturing Christmas uh, and the Wonder Of. And so we're super excited about that. Please reach out to friends and family and neighbors. You can invite them to join us, uh, and that'll be starting next Sunday. Today, however, uh, we're going to be jumping in, if you want to run and grab your Bibles, to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 15. Uh, you can always hit pause and come back to us. Uh, but as we open to this, what I want to do is broaden your horizons. Uh, God has done very, uh, some very interesting things creating the book of Ephesians where we're constantly reinforced, who are we in Christ? Who are we in Christ? Who are we in Christ? And today, it's actually fitting that we conclude our series looking at the fact that Christ is in us. And what exactly does that look like? How does it work? And what does it mean? So that's what we're going to be diving into. Now, to kind of kick things off, what I want to do is turn your attention to the Disney Channel, uh, actually Disney Plus. I don't know if you subscribe to it. Naomi pays for our family to have Disney uh, Plus, and there's a whole bunch of different series on that channel. And one that our family has kind of fallen in love with is kind of the spinoff, if you would, to uh, the Star Wars trilogy, and that is The Mandalorian. And uh, I believe we have a picture of the Mandalorian himself, uh, kind of this man-robot with superpowers, uh, incredible warrior superhero. And uh, Mando, as we call him at home, Mando comes from a, a people group, a, a creation of people called the Mandalorians. 
And the Mandalorians have a very interesting saying, and that is this. They say, as they make decisions and choices and live life, they say, this is the way. Now, what's interesting about that is it doesn't matter what's going on in, the, in a given scene. It doesn't matter if there's good things happening or bad things happening or decisions that need to be made in those circumstances. Their response is always, this is the way. And I believe with all my heart in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul wants to bookend all of what he's already talked about with, this is not a way, this is not one of many ways, this is the way. So I'm going to invite you as we've grown accustomed here at Rock Creek Church out of reverence for the Word of God, but also in a way to set our hearts in the right direction. I want to invite you to stand at home for the reading of God's Word starting at verse 15. I'll be reading out of the ESV version, and here's what it says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That is the word of the Lord. You may be seated at home. Uh, Here's what we learned from this passage. Two two primary things that all we're going to look at this morning, two things that we learned from this. Number one, Christians live with wise urgency. We see that in verses 15 through 17. And number two, wise urgency comes from the Spirit. We see that in verse 18. So let's unpack the very first one, and that is Christians live with wise urgency. Here's the truth. When Christ calls someone to himself, he calls them immediately. There's no on-ramp. There's no uh, ratcheting up the intensity. There's no starting off in the shallow end of the pool and eventually ending up in the deep end of the pool. We don't ease into the life of Christ. God begins his work in us immediately, even if we're not aware of it, God is working in us the moment we accept His grace and forgiveness. And it never lets up from there. Uh, C.S. Lewis has written a book called Mere Christianity. Maybe lots of you have, have read that. A few of you probably have not. And here's a passage from that book talking exactly about this work of God in our lives. It says this, Imagine yourself living in a house. God comes in to rebuild that house, and at first perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed uh, to be done, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house in a way that hurts abominably and doesn't make much sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing a new wing here and putting on an extra floor there and and running up towers, making courtyards. You see, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He, God, 
intends to come and live it, live in it himself. I, I love C.S. Lewis's description of, of Christ's work in our life. It just helps it come alive. You see, when God comes down from heaven to live within you, the moment you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, we begin to live a bit differently. We begin to live with an increased attention or, or, or maybe rather an increased urgency to the things of God. That is that we took our decision for Him to be our Lord and Savior seriously, an urgency to the things of God. And then life begins to look a bit different. In fact, the way I kind of describe it to many is life begins to look like a construction zone in the middle of a war zone, if you can even picture that. Because God's building something beautiful. And we have the hope, we have the truth, we have the promise that one day He's going to do far more than we could have ever thought of, asked, or imagined. But we have a problem. The enemy seeks to destroy that. The enemy actually seeks not only to destroy what God is building in you, but the enemy seeks to destroy the process of building something beautiful in you. And God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be unaware of those things. And so Paul says we must live with wise urgency. Well, naturally, the question then is posed, how do we do that? Well, to begin with, we start putting in the work. We pay attention not only to our steps, but the direction to where our steps are taking us, our movement. Do our steps line up with God and His Word, the Scriptures? You see, we must be wise, and, and the Bible talks all kinds about this. We must be wise to our thoughts because they're so directly controlled by our heart. And, and the Bible says, out of the condition of our heart and our thought come the words of our mouth. See, they're all so closely tied together, our actions, our thoughts, and our words. And biblical wisdom is someone skilled in finding what is pleased and honorable to God and then living in that way. This is the way. And Paul says in our passage this morning, we must make the best use of our time if we're going to do just that. The Greek language here means purchasing a slave's freedom. By buying up the time and, and redeeming or gifting that time back. You see, it's not just a matter of buying a slave's freedom so that they can then take the place of being a slave under your umbrella. It is the idea of buying time and gifting and redeeming that time to give it back to the slave. So that you and I, who were formerly slaves to sin and captured in darkness, have now been brought into the light of His Son in whom He loves 
and then we are to understand what the will of the Lord is. It all kind of works together. And this is happening not just at the cross, not just when you accepted Christ or when you first heard about God, but it's happening right here, right now. Now, that may sound rather complicated, but it's really not. Stay with me on this. The Bible tells us what God's will is. It's to make us more like Christ, to redeem us, to make us a better version of us. His will is also to redeem the world, those across the street, those in the grocery store, and to bring heaven down and then to grant eternal life. That's the will of God. And Paul warns us here to pay attention to those things because those are the priorities. Why is that important? It's important because of, of one fundamental reason. Because if we don't maintain a focus on those priorities, it's far too easy to step off the path of God's desire and to pursue self, to pursue you, your own life, your own desires and comforts, to build your own friendships, to focus on your career, to, to focus on your family, to build up your 401k, and to very slowly slip right back into the darkness in which we were rescued from. So what's our hope? Well, Jesus is our hope. You know that. You might even know it academically or even in the head, but do you know it in the heart? Do you truly know that Jesus is your only hope? You see, God waged a war against the evil of this world in the fullness of time. That is at just the right opportunity. And the question is, what was his weapon of choice? We're going to see in the coming weeks here as we enter into our Christmas series, his weapon of choice was a baby. He sent his son Jesus into the world to redeem the world. And that baby grew to be a man. And that man, God, Jesus Christ, watched how he walked. He was wise in the choices he made. He utilized his time perfectly, obeying the law. And he was wise, more wise than anyone who's ever walked the planet. In fact, he was perfect, the beloved son in whom God was well pleased. And at the pinnacle of his battle... He gave himself up to the cross. Continue to understand this. The cross and those who persecuted him did not bring uh, the cross to him and force him on the cross. He, Jesus, obediently went to the cross. He brought up the evil days and he purchased our freedom. Why? Because he understood what the will of the Lord was. He prayed, not my will, but yours be done. 
And we read in the Garden of Gethsemane, it caused him great consternation to even pray like that, to submit to that authority. And we are being asked to live and indeed pray the exact same way. You say, well, that's pretty hard to do. I agree. It's incredibly hard to do, especially when you have loved ones who are sick, when you have loved ones whose marriages are falling apart, when you have uh, horrible, uh, uh, possibly fatal diagnoses to loved ones, when people are out of work, to be able to bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords and say, not my will be done, but yours. To say that's an incredibly difficult prayer, I would suggest is just as incredible an understatement. You see, the wise urgency we must have living in a moment-by-moment relationship with God is trusting that He knows best. It's listening to Him and following Him even when the path seems crazy and it's hard to understand. You see, no one looked at the cross that very first Good Friday and said, oh yeah, all of this makes complete sense. All of this is is happening just perfectly. On the contrary, everyone who looked at the cross on that first Good Friday said, the plan is broken. It didn't work. It was a good try, but let's go home. And for the most part, our Lord died by Himself. But what looks like failure to the world is the wisdom of God. Jesus' resurrection was historical proof that God's not a wingnut, that he's not crazy, that his plan actually was perfect, and it executed to a place where it brought freedom to you and me forever. God's way is wise, and on the cross, Jesus defeated Satan, even though Satan thought he was defeating Jesus Christ. God turned the tables on the devil. And Jesus exchanged sin for righteousness. And he reconciled sinners to the holiness of God. Death brought about life. And that has been our emphasis from day one of this series. New creation people. You have had or do have the opportunity to exchange your death, those things that are not bringing about life, for those things who bring about endless life. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this is what drives me as a pastor, but also as a dad speaking into my kids' lives every single day because every other path, it might look bright and loud and flashy and enticing and fun and life-giving, but it only brings about death. At minimum, a fleeting sense of fullness, but then an immediate sense of hunger once again. You see, God's path very often looks foolish and ridiculous. It does. If we're truly honest with ourselves as Christ followers, often the things that God asks us to do look foolish and ridiculous. If someone hits you in the face, turn them to the other cheek. 
If someone doesn't have a coat, give them your coat. The first will be last. It goes on and on and on. And yet, it leads to life. And so I ask you to wrestle with this question that I've been wrestling with. Are we willing to follow and set absolute priority on the wisdom and the things of Christ or the world around us? At first, we want to answer that with an emphatic, of course I choose Christ, and I just cause you to dig a little bit deeper. Really? Are the things and the wisdom of Christ directing your life? Not big chunks, moment by moment, minute by minute, interaction by interaction. Does that direct your life? Because Satan doesn't want you to listen to Christ. Let me say that again. It's, it's worth repeating. Satan does not want you to listen to Christ. He doesn't want you on the front lines. He doesn't want you serving the kingdom of God. He doesn't want you loving the other person before you love yourself. Why? Because forgiven sinners, you and I, are a threat to his power, are a threat to his kingdom, lowercase k. The enemy wants you in hiding. He wants you hunker down. He wants you in isolation. He wants you walking in fear. But God won't let that happen. He fights with us. In fact, he's already fought for us. And good news, if you haven't heard already, he won. And he gives us his spirit now, granting the wisdom that we need. And the devil, Satan himself, hates that. He despises that truth. He freaks out when the church and the individual believer gets stronger and finds out more of their God-given identity. But a spirit-filled you is much too much for him. A spirit-filled you is God's plan. And that is incredible good news. There's no one in this room. I wish I could just get a bunch of people shouting. That is unbelievable good news in just three verses of what your truth is for you. And if we say yes to that call, we find a second amazing reality. Look at verse 18. Wise urgency comes from the Spirit. When we come to Christ, God gives us a never-ending resource of fullness. Now, this is a, a common theme in Paul's writing in Ephesians. So I just want to walk you through very quickly on all these different places. If you missed any of our weeks, then you can highlight or circle or, or write in your Bible on these things. The concept of filling is a really important concept for Paul uh, throughout the book. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, the church is Christ's body. The fullness of him who fills everything in some ways, certain ways. No, it says it fills everything in every way. 
In chapter 3, verse 19, Paul prays that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Not filled to the measure of some of God, parts of God, various aspects of God. He prays that you, you and I may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. That means everything about God is at your accessibility, at your fingertips. In chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Jesus ascended higher than all of the heavens. That's pretty high. In order to fill what? Boulder County? The state of Colorado? The precious United States? Earth? No. He ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And again, in chapter 4, now verse 13, he says, God put gifts in the church, you and I, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, in the different giftings that we have. Why? So that the church, you and I, may become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Some of the measure, no, the full, whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And here in verse 18 of chapter 5, Paul says, to be filled with the Spirit. Friends, God did not create a world to be full without Him. In other words, He didn't create a world just so that we can go on hikes and have birthday parties and Thanksgiving Day and, and Christmas coming up and anniversaries and retirement parties and, and, and babies being born and getting married. That fills our world. But God didn't create a world just to be full without Him. He created a world to be filled with Him. Do you hear that? God created a world to be filled with Him. And you and I were made to be filled with God. But when sin entered the world... Instead of being filled and full of God, sin caused us to want to be filled and thus be full of the things of this world. Some of those not necessarily evil. Some of those things make us feel full for just a moment and then they're fleeting. But we were made to be full of Christ. You see, sin didn't remove in any way our need to be filled by something. It just redirected our gaze from the one who can satisfy that hunger, that, that gap that does need to be filled. It just redirected to lifeless and worthless fillers like junk food on a Saturday night where you just eat like a slob. And again on Sunday... And again on Monday, and so on and so forth. We just begin to do this. So Paul gives us two ways that we can be filled. Wine or the Holy Spirit. And this seems like a strange choice, doesn't it? Get wine filled or spirit filled. But this isn't the first time that the Bible has used these two categories and mentions them together. We see this in the book of Acts when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost that some who were watching thought the disciples were drunk because they were so happy and, and acting crazy. 
So there must be something to that comparison. So walk with me a little bit as we unpack this word. The word that Paul uses is drunk. It it literally means to be soaked or saturated with or dominated by. Being drunk is to be controlled. You know this. You, have, you yourself has, have been drunk or you've seen other individuals drunk and they're controlled. And to be filled with the Spirit is the same. It's to be controlled. But the Spirit takes control in opposite ways of alcohol. The Spirit of God makes you better, not worse. You ever see that where someone says, uh, there's the real me and then there's the alcohol me and you won't like the alcohol me or the alcohol me is significantly different than the real me. Well, the spirit is the same way. There's you, but then there's the spirit filled you. And those are not necessarily the same person. In fact, most of the time they're not. Because to be drunk with wine is debauchery. The Greek means to spill it out. It's what Jesus used in the parable with the prodigal son when he said that the son went out and spent all of his money on rowdy living, if you would. He spilled it out. He wasted it. He squandered it. He spent all of his inheritance, and it literally got him nowhere. That's what being drunk on wine does. It doesn't get you anywhere. You might have some fun in the moment, but then when it's over, you've gotten no farther in who God created you to be. You're no further along. It spends you and you get nowhere. But being filled with the Spirit does the opposite. Look what it does. When you're filled with the Spirit, we aren't wasters of the time. We're buyers of the time. In fact, I would, I would offer to you, we're multipliers of the time. God somehow accomplishes more as we become His hands and feet in more time or less time than it might take us. He does more than we could ever ask or imagine. Those drunk with wine waste their time. Those who are filled with the Spirit, they buy up time that God gives them. They make the most of it, and in turn, they experience walking with Jesus. It's amazingly awesome. But maybe you say, well, Pastor Brian, I'm not a drunkard, so this doesn't really apply to me. And I say, okay, that's fine. Replace wine and drunkenness with any other idol. Money. Sex accomplishments, careers, possessions, drugs, gossip, envy. It's all the same thing. It's all-encompassing. It all leads to debauchery. It leads to exhaustion. You see, rowdy living might not look like a drunken uh, kegger party on a Friday night. It might, listen, it might look like a beautiful, perfect-looking family in Boulder County. And yet, without Christ, it's leading to death. Because when when we don't pursue Christ the way we ought... void of the Spirit of God and and full of the Spirit of the age that we have today, uh, full of pursuing our own comfort, our own security and the good life, then we are immediately off track and things will go awry. 
And the question for us today is, do we factor God into our life or is our life too full for him? It's why we're told to be careful with our time. Because we might miss it. We might miss that moment that God wants to do something in and through you. God is saying we must empty our lives and be filled with the Spirit. Friends, because that's what we're made for. That's what the creator, the inventor, the sustainer of life before the foundation of the world, that's what we were created for in his thoughts. And when we embrace that, when we begin to live in that truth, the adventure begins and we eventually begin to see the Lord's prayer lived out for the things of heaven be down here on earth through you. You see, we spend so much of our life going from one thing to another, never really being satisfied, looking to be filled. You ever find yourself doing that? I know I do. I'll go sometimes and I'll just stand in front of the, the pantry or I'll stand in front of the fridge and I'm like, what will fill me? And on my good days, I don't just try everything to see what will fill me. But on my bad days, I do. And I eat until I find something that will fill me. Well, that's what we do with life. We try and we try and we try to fill something, this gap that needs to be filled that only Christ can do. And this morning, today, God is commanding all of us, stop. Stop trying to fill your life with things other than me. Why? Because you will spend the rest of your life doing so. And then his next response is, let me fill you. Let me be that thing that you're searching for. Let me help define your identity. Let me help guide your next steps. Trust me with your life. But because God is so great, hear this, because God is so great and, and his power is so endless and so enormous and so authentic, he is not going to force it on you. He is not going to force his love on you. He is not going to force his plans for you. Plans to give you life in abundance. He won't force that. He will relentlessly offer it to you and give you the choice, but God is not a forceful God. You and I need to surrender to Him. And when you say yes to that call, good news, friends, when you say yes to that call, the Holy Spirit will lift you far higher and far longer than anything else that you put into your system. Far higher than a Red Bull, far, far higher than a new house, far higher than a new career or a new wife 
or a, or a greater 401k, far greater than more presents, far greater than a great vacation. He will lift you higher and farther than you can on your own. And you will stand in awe. Or better, you will fall to your knees in awe and thankfulness. Everything else is fleeting. The Spirit of God abides forever. You see, the Spirit's filling is part of the gospel promise in John chapter 7. Jesus stood at the feast and he cried out in this way, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, when you go to God, the Spirit of God flows in and then he flows out of you. You ever had that moment where you go, that wasn't me, that was God? Whether it was something you said or something you felt or some compassion that you showed, that's what the Spirit of God does. He flows in and He flows out. And He does not your work, He does His work. This passage provides incredible insight into our living and the truth of our identity. We are told to be careful with our living, make wise decisions, and use our time on this earth productively and to choose what we put into self, what we allow to enter, the images, the sounds, the, the entertainment, the conversations. You see, we started by proclaiming what your identity is and the, and the good news of your identity. You, if you have given your life to Jesus and you are following and you are surrendering to Him, here's your good news. You are in Christ. And there's no better place to be than in Christ. But this passage also reminds us that if that's you, it gets even better. There's an even greater truth. Not only are you in Christ, but Christ is not in heaven. Christ is in you. He's in you right now. And when the Spirit of Christ is living and active in you, you can, with full confidence, live your life every day, guided by the Holy Spirit, and, and look at the world and say, this is the way. When the world is bombarding me with do this and say this and think this and vote this way and, and believe this about the virus and, and, the, and, and pursue this for the future, you can hit pause on all of those voices, all of those sounds and say, this is the way. My God is the way. My Jesus, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this is the way. And when God gets involved in your life, not just a belief in God, but when God gets involved as your Lord and Savior, and you surrender every aspect of your life, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be nice and neat and orderly and clean and safe. It just means that everything is going to matter. That everything will all of a sudden have purpose. And God wants that for your life today.
We opened with C.S. Lewis with Mere Christianity, and so I thought we could close with C.S. Lewis as well. Many of you know his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in this particular moment, Mr. Beaver is speaking with Susan about the troubles with the evil white witch. It's rumored that Aslan, the Jesus figure, is he's on the move. And Mr. Beaver assures that Aslan can help. But when Susan, this young little girl, when she realizes that Aslan is a lion, she says this, Oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And when Jesus comes, of course he isn't safe. How can holiness, which wages a war, the Bible tells us, against our sin, be safe? There's no aspect of war that's safe, but it's good. The wonder of the gospel is that the king himself went on the cross instead of us. And this king gives his holiness to his sinners. Think about that, friends. I, I wish I could talk to each of and every one of you just one-on-one. -on -one. You as a sinner, God gave you his holiness. And he knows everything about you. And he gifts wraps his holiness and hands it to you. And he would do it again today. This king destroys evil by redeeming us. It might be painful. It might be trying. It might be exhausting. But it's good. It'll be glorious because the king is good. And when the king comes, I tell you, he creates something beautiful. And friends, he's creating something beautiful. If you're following Jesus, he is creating something beautiful in you. If you and your spouse or you and your fiance or you and your girlfriend or, or boyfriend are pursuing Jesus together, he is creating something beautiful in your relationship. If you are pursuing Jesus, he is pursuing something beautiful in your family. God is on the move. He is up to something. He wants to do more than you could ever ask or imagine. You see, God isn't interested in creating a decent cottage in this self. The king is interested in building a palace where the streets are lined with gold where it's bigger and better than you could ever have dreamed of. Why? Because He resides. He abides. And in fact, He lives in you. 
So friends, hold on to this truth. When the enemy wants to convince you otherwise, when the enemy wants to get you down, when the enemy wants to beat you down, claim it and live it. And may that truth this Christmas season cause unhindered worship of the King who brings life and life to its fullest until he comes again. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We, we are so thankful for these truths found in the scriptures. Help us to live with wise urgency that comes through the Holy Spirit. As Proverbs says, not leaning on our own understanding, but truly acknowledging you in all our ways. And you will make our path straight. Give us boldness and courage. When you make that path straight, give us boldness and courage to walk in it. And thank you that we do not walk alone, for we are the church. We are the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, whom you will come again to save. And at the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Thank you for this day, Jesus. Thank you for your many blessings. Help us to be aware of those and to keep our eyes on you. At all times, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.